this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started. Welcome to the Our Boys After Show. We are talking episodes seven and eight. We're going to be breaking down all of all of the things that happened in that episode. We're talking about morality, politics, religion, and the beginning of the trial of Muhammad Abu Qadir. So stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now let the buzz begin. What's up, AfterBuzzers? Welcome back. We have the full panel this week. Uh, we are breaking down episodes seven and eight, like I said. Before we get into it, I'm Steph Sabra. I'm joined by two great panelists. Hey, Ron. What's Hello. up? Hi. How are you feeling tonight? I'm mad. I'm so mad. I know. It's hard to be... Okay, I, I'm so happy to be with you guys, but it is when you finish the episode, you're like, damn it. It's heavy indeed. Damn it. And then we have Tatiana and Marisa. Hello, guys. Do you keep adding a name every time we come to the episode? No, no, you, that's what you said last time, right? Oh, I yes. Don't know. I, 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 what are you I thought it was just Tatiana, and now it's Tatiana and Marisa. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Every mean, time we. These episodes <laughs> throw us for a loop, add. okay? Tatiana, Marisa, Abu Khadir. I know you guys who watch the show at home feel. You have to be feeling the same way. There's a whole lot of emotions to break down. Every time I finish, I think I know what I'm going to say and talk about, but there is so much to unpack. So we will be breaking it down kind of together because I think the episodes flowed into each other and we'll start with Avishay and how what happened the night of the murder and then move to Shimon the psychiatrist and the politics and everyone involved on the outskirts of it and then we will get into the Kadirs and the trial and the future of what will happen and we will have some a special segment and some news and gossip before we get into it what was your guys overall thoughts of the two episodes. Tati. Tatiana. Marisa. Tati. Oh, there's another name. Tati. No, I, I'll take that one. Um, I, I basically, I thought it was like watching it, the Ted Bundy murders, you know, like the way they broke it down, I thought was so uh, like a police procedural. Too much so, I felt like. And it, it was hard to watch. But I felt, in a way, I felt like it kind of normalized it. Mm-hmm. I understood what was going on, but at the same time, it, it Hollywoodized it. Mm-hmm. I made that word up. 
We're going with it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a word. Thanks. I'm pretty sure if oh, I play Scrabble, good. I will use that. Tehran. Hollywood eyes. I'm going to say that this these episodes 7 and 8, uh, I understand how it seems like they flow together, but they really uh, differentiate the types of stories that we're, we're telling, right? So on one hand, we see Avishai, who is coming clean, but we also see this naiveness with him, him where he hasn't told himself the truth, that he's responsible for murder. He's still differentiating himself from the actions of his uncle and his cousin. Mm-hmm. And on the same token, here we go into the family of uh, uh, Muhammad with Hussein and Suha. We get into this family... And the politics and the inner working. And so their son actually brings it up the best when he's like, all of you are basically interfering, but none of you know what you would do in in, in my father's shoes because none of you are in his shoes. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a strong message that the that that we haven't seen from from him the entirety of, of the of the episode. So it was just so strong to watch it. And we get a little a lot of little tidbits of information that I'm gonna break down as we go through the panel that we need to be aware of yeah. what they mean and and so forth. I agree. I think that in terms what the show does amazing is that it humanizes and kind of shows the perspective of each individual in the most telling way in a way that you there was points where you question what the morality is what is justice for each of these people what is it like growing up with this experience where you're told all these things about people who don't practice the same religion about as you and live the same life as you so in that regards absolutely and we just talked about it before the acting is continues to blow my mind I it's so real that it makes me cry every episode but I will say I I do overall love the show. I think it is so important, and I do. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I told my whole family to watch it. I tell my friends to watch it because I think it's an important piece. But it is a lot for each episode, especially episode 7, breaking down piece by piece how the murderer happened and the thought processes of the murderers. Uh, it's, it's really hard, and I don't know if it's necessary, in my opinion. That's just how I felt. But let's get into Avi Shea, because he, his performance is insane. You were saying he needs It's to, amazing. He, he needs, needs to win an, an Emmy, Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, a Tony. He needs to win everything. Yeah. And so, he got... He needs so everything. You see him from the beginning. He doesn't really know who he is and kind of where he stands, what side he stands on, but he does follow in his uncle's path a lot of the ways, and he doesn't really... Because he doesn't know what he wants to do, he does go with the flow, so to speak. And he's in the, he ends up being invited finally. He wasn't invited the first night of the, the kidnapping, the kidnap attempt, but he makes the second night. And I just find it really interesting when they're, when he starts to get a little bit more convinced. It's when the uncle says, they're all terrorists, what thugs, as they're searching for innocent people. So there's such an irony in it. And I was just, I'm curious from your perspective, 
Is any part of was obviously humanized for you in episode seven at all? What, what what did you think his thought process was in the beginning? Because I couldn't really tell if he was just going with it or if he had formed an opinion. I don't think he'd formed an opinion. I think, like he said um, to Shimon, he was saying that he was more hurt that he didn't get invited the first time. So I think it's just. Uh, I think a big part of it is he's almost like a little boy, even though he's a teenager. Mm-hmm. He's almost like a little boy who wants to be involved. The fact that he hasn't um, been, he hasn't made a decision on where he wants to go. He's kind of seems like an outcast from his parents. I think he just wants to belong somewhere, and I think that was one of the catalysts for him to be a part of this group and to actually take place um, in the murder. I think it had a lot to do with, obviously, there's a chip on his shoulder when he feels offended that he wasn't asked because he has probably been deemed the weakling throughout his life in this group. And so you see his cousin is the one who's a star in yeshiva and is confident and uh, quotes scripture at every given point. But Avishai is is shy and he even apologizes when he stutters and things of that nature. So when he's not invited the first night, you see him excited to be invited the second night and he's pumping himself up, right? But time and time again, you see he's unable to go through with the actions and he also differentiates it when he's like, I said no killing and don't kill him and I couldn't watch because I can't see dead bodies and I sat in the car not realizing that you are still a part of all of this. And he keeps... Uh, the memories that we see are from his perspective, so we're assuming it's the truth, but it's really his truth. It's his version of the events that happen, and because he does condemn himself, we assume that it's as true as possible as possible, but the truth of the matter is, he is as much a part of all of this if not more, because he's the one who pointed out Muhammad several times. Yeah, let's get into that, because he forms this trust with Shimon and ends up telling him everything from his perspective, and the questions that I kept asking myself is, did he commit the murder, technically under the law, if you had the intent to murder and you know that that was going to happen, you did? And is there really a difference, in your opinion, whether or not he was the one who set fire to Muhammad or not, did he still commit murder? Yes. Legally, yeah. he definitely did. There's no... Morally, in your opinion. I know it's hard to say none of us can play God, so to speak, but it brings up an interesting question. I mean, if you pack your car with a bunch of gasoline and a crowbar and you go looking for somebody in the middle of the night, what else do you think you're doing? Mm-hmm. I, I can't be on board with that because no? his intent. So... That is obviously aggravated assault with a, with intent or aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. However, once it got past the point, he is now a part of this. It's uh, We go to rob a bank. I'm in, sitting in the car outside. I'm the uh, getaway driver. Someone in the bank gets shot. I'm still the getaway driver. I still get charged with that shooting. That's why. However... We to, have degrees, though. That's why they keep asking him, did you know that you were going to kill. That's how they're trying to place where we are exactly with the degree of of responsibility at this point. However, at some point, it's a slippery slope. Once it got to this point, there was no turning back. Mm -hmm. But to Tatiana's point about him having the gasoline and knowing that, that's where I start to say, yeah, we're hearing your perspective, but 
I can't give you all the credit to not understand what gasoline is for. Exactly. What, like, what the heck do you think you're doing with that? Sure. Let's remember something. Avishai is 16 years old. He's following his uncle, who's much older than him. He's following his cousin, who he looks up to. He's listening to what he thinks is the ramblings of uh, a rabbi that he is also fond of. And on top of that, because they keep, don't forget, they keep quoting different scriptures. And on top of that, he is caught up in the storm. Now, if let's not justify the action. Let's put it in perspective in legal terms. He's 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Does he understand the implication of what he is doing? When you were 16, did you understand the implications of everything you did and the impact that they could possibly have on you for the rest of your life? I'm so sorry. You you can't. Well, yeah, that's why they are charging them as minors. Tatiana, what were right. you going to say? Le- legally, legally, I agree. Like, if you look at it from a legal standpoint, I agree. But I feel like from a moral standpoint, like... That's where you're coming from. That's where I'm coming from. Legally, I I understand if you were to... Well, like they're doing, they're putting it in court. If you were to go through and prove everything, I I get that. But looking at it from from just my personal opinion... Yeah, sure. I feel like if you take all of that, you know you're going to do damage to somebody. Enough so that you would get in trouble for it. But you you don't understand the implications. And here's the thing. They're not being charged as minors. They just are simply minors for uh, yeah, I don't journalistic, know the law there, but journalistic integrity, meaning why did they even s- here. Why did they separate them then? They separate them. Uh, they're actually placed in a separate populating uh, prison so that's why that has can... no Arabs. It, it's not specifically. They're, they're in a holding cell that has other people as well. It's just not only is it separated because it's Jewish, but it has no Arabs, which are the, the majority of people that populate that mm-hmm. particular prison. And so they're keeping them separated. They are in uh, um, like a segregated cell just because it's them, because of the severity of the crime that they've committed. No, I mean, why were they separated from Yosef then? Oh, that that was when it started. But now, as it goes on, I'm not sure. I'm not positive about that because I just also know the outcome. That's why. Okay, because even with the even with um, the Kadirs, they weren't naming their two names because they are minor. So they do have some sort of recognition of people who are minors. I don't know how that plays in legally, but uh, I the part that killed me with Avishay because I wasn't sure how I really felt about... I didn't know coming into episode 7 how much he was really involved if he was just in the back of the car. But he did pick out Mohammed and he was the one who went after him and that's when when he says that, uh, this to Shimon when he says, "I you understand I didn't actually commit murder, right? I did unforgivable things but there's a difference in the act itself. He really perpetuated the situation to me because you needed all three in that car for it to happen, in my opinion. That's just how I feel about that. But I'm curious what your perspective is, the relationship with him and Shimon. Because do you think that Shimon was trying to have his best interest? Do you think he was trying to humanize him and get the answers to commit him to the murder or to kind of take him away from it? What do you think Shimon's purpose was? I think Shimon was, was doing his job, hmm. and he's doing it well, and he's doing it from a place where he identifies with these people in general. As you can see from his family, he grew up Chabad. He's very familiar with them, and he can see himself or parts of himself or at least someone he knows 
in Avishai. But at the same time, he's doing his job. I mean, he, even at the end when Avishai's like, but you do understand there's a difference. I didn't do murder. And he's like, uh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Like he's not. Well, I think that's when answer. he was fed, fed up with him. He's like, mm-hmm. I really tried because in episode six, I believe, or five, there was a part where I wondered. I thought he really didn't want it to be these kids. Talk to do you agree? I thought he didn't want it to be. I thought he didn't want it to be Abishai because he saw himself. Because though. he saw himself in him, and he kept saying, "Oh no, I know his type. It's not him. I know his type. It's not him." And then it turned out to be him, and it almost like. As as he took him through the reenactment, I felt like he just became more and more disappointed because I feel like he was doing his job, but I feel like he was at least a little bit emotionally invested mm-hmm. um, in in Avishai because he had those talks with him in the beginning when he was undercover, and because of that, I I, I think he related to him a little bit, and he just became more and more disappointed, and that's why he was kind of like you said, fed up with him. Yeah towards the end because he was like you had way more of a role in it than I think thought. he didn't want it to be Avishai because the country didn't want it to be them the, it, it, at this point this is like a, a powder keg and if it's Avishai that means it can literally be anybody yes that's the whole thing it, it's one of those that's why we get fascinated with the serial killer because when we see the serial killer like they're Ted like Bundy a, exactly when it's the guy who can be anybody Man. that's the scary point this is a person we all interacted with this isn't the guy if it's the guy with all the tattoos on his face and he's like you know in eight gangs we understand that it's when it's anybody and that's but isn't but isn't isn't Avishai like the the odd man out he's like the ugly duckling right yeah he's showing more you can see the sympathy on his face you can see more humanization whereas the other two are in a different world especially Yosef but Tehran you were bringing up an interesting point before we started the show and I want to talk about the defendant number 7 or 8 I'm not sure which one is which but Yinon Yinon to Avishai when he said you know what your problem is they convinced you we did something horrible don't you know shall not kill doesn't apply to this it doesn't apply to gentle gentiles Gentiles. didn't you know that yeah so so he's uh, he's the he's the yeshiva student who who reads the scripture and he's justifying everything by scripture. He's he's taking it in religion, which is a big point in this because the whole concept is, especially in Israel, when it comes to the Israel Israeli-Palestinian conflict, a lot of people always uh, make the 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 concept, well, if Islam's such a religion of peace, then why are they always at war? And another saying that goes on in Israel is the concept of if if the Palestinians put their weapons down, then there will be peace. But if the Israelis put down their weapons, there will no longer be an Israel. Mm. And that's like the concept. So now, if Judaism can uh, can justify violence, they have no more defense. And that's why, and, and it's actually a big deal that's going on right now. Uh, a lot of people in Israel are very, very upset and bothered by this particular show. People have written, you know, over hundreds of letters have been written to HBO. Uh, Israel's Channel 12, which is like one of the co-producers of the show, people have been calling for a boycott of it because of this show. And, and people are understanding this is just a specific story. Mm-hmm. It is a story that's being told and told very well. Yeah. 
Before we move on to our next topic, I just want to shout out you after buzzers at home, watching us, supporting us. Thank you for making us the ESPN of TV talk. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button. Leave us a comment so we can keep the conversation going. And if you're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, Spotify, leave us a review. Five stars uh, so we can continue the conversation there as well. But thank you guys. We love being able to talk about this show in particular and all the TV shows that we break down here at AfterBuzz TV. So let's talk about Shimon and uh, and his brother. Well, so, before we move on, let oh. me break down certain things that happened in episode seven that were very important. Do it. Uh, first of all, Moafak at the gas station. Moafak is um, he to note he's a Palestinian and possibly most likely a Christian Palestinian. A lot of people don't realize how many Christian Palestinians they are, especially in these acts. Yeah, and Catholic too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, he's he is Palestinian. The person who questions why do they need the gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big thing. Also, oh, that's a great point. The dehumanization of the Arabs when they specifically say, "Ever notice Arabs don't like glasses because they don't read or study?" That's how you start breaking down when you dehumanize the enemy. You don't call them by names. You don't interpret them as human. It's easier to inflict harm on them, and we see that, of course, and justify your actions. Exactly, we see that's that before in Nazi Germany. Don't look them in the eye. Don't look them in the eye mm-hmm. before you. Yeah, and, and, and that's why these words get thrown out. It's very dangerous. Uh, and the Hayat al the wall where you cry, that's the Arab term, or like it's more like the yard where you cry, but the term for the wailing wall. And if you see the outset, that's actually the old city of Jerusalem. It's those walls. So you go down those steps and you go through the tunnels, mm-hmm. and there's the wailing wall and the mosque, and everything's within like the confines of the old city. So it's very true to form. Oh, wow. Yeah, because you were just there. So you yeah, yeah. were you able to visit that? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I go basically wow. every year. Actually, twice a year, basically. But one thing you said made me, when I was watching the episode, I hate to bring Liam Neeson into this, but I have to bring Liam Neeson into this, because this is why when he was talking about that one night that he went after like trying to find any black person in the street because his friend had been raped by someone who happened to be black. That's why that type of thinking is so dangerous. Mm -hmm. When you let yourself ravel into this place where one person of one identity did something and therefore everyone belongs in that, that is like something you should never let yeah. yourself go down. And we criminalized Liam Neeson but didn't understand what he was actually pointing yes. at. How dangerous that type yes. of thinking is and how he as a person had to overcome it within himself. Yes. And everyone just glazed over that and like really pinpointed on him. He, he Kanye'd his way yeah. into, yeah. into a, a great thought that was verbalized very poor, poorly. Yeah, really poorly. <laughs> but that's why that type of thinking is so dangerous. Okay, so Shimon's situation continues. He's the most dramatic element of the show. Not the most dramatic. That's not the right word. But he is the pivot of this show that makes it a show as opposed to a documentary. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that his brother is... um, He's so involved with the religion and very intertwined with the people who are practicing. Um, And he says... He brings up this question that he should be saving the boys because that's his people. That also is really dangerous. And he qu- he says, if he wasn't crazy, who would do this? And that's when the mental illness starts getting into play in this episode. And um, he just cannot believe that someone would kill because it's against the religion. Thou shall not kill. I'm curious what you guys think of that um, and how Shimon, if Shimon handled it in the way you would have. 
assumed he would. It seemed pretty to character. How he handled it with his How brother. he was like, I'm not doing that, dude. Like, just because that, that's what the religion says doesn't mean a person is going to act in that way. I mean, I, I was I expected him to do that mm-hmm. because that's very it's very much of his character. He's pretty uh, by the book, you know, as opposed to what his job is. So I wasn't surprised that he answered his brother that way, at all. Yeah, I didn't. I thought his brother knew that he what exactly what his job was. I didn't realize that his brother didn't know. I think he keeps him really out of it. What were you going to say? Well, it's it, okay. So think of. Um, having the Secret Service and the FBI and the CIA mixed. Mm. So you kind of don't talk about your job, especially when you work in the Jewish division. It's a, it's a very it's a very touchy thing. In fact, when you have members of your family that are in IDF and they're in secret things, they won't even tell you what they're stationed at or things. So that's a very normal thing. I, I, I do, however, think that Shimon is way more sympathetic than even he knew he would be. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what's yeah. causing a lot of conflict within him. It's just an interesting point that the brother brought up and the pressure that a lot of people felt that, that the poli- people in politics or in government positions must feel and still feel in the region because they have all of the this is why I love our separation of church and state. We don't do it perfectly all the time, but I cannot imagine the weight of the world when your friends and family are practicing a religion that coincides with the way you run politics and the way things happen and unfold. So that's a ton of pressure. But I really want to get into uh, Rabbi Ben Shalom, right? So he visits the... He finally gets a lawyer because the the kids didn't have a lawyer at first and to represent Yosef. And he brings up an interesting point that he hasn't been the same since his lung collapsed on a flight. To me, I don't know if he's kind of planting the seed of mental health and trying to claim that because that's a really low-grade thing to say about what could make someone not be the same. I guess that's pretty judgmental of me, but it seemed like it would have been something way bigger than just that. And and that leads them to the site to go and talk to the psychiatrist. And she has to explain to them that there's a big difference between someone who's not accountable for their actions and someone who is. What do you guys think is the state of Yosef? Because we see him in the trial later saying he is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. How far do you think that this is a mental illness or him just being evil? From what I've seen so far from from uh, just watching it, I don't think that his mental state is so off that he can claim insanity for this. I, I, I don't. And I didn't think, I didn't even have a reason to think that until I saw him in the courtroom yelling, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And as far as, um, you know, his father saying that, oh, he wasn't the same when his lung collapsed, I think he's kind of r- reaching pretty far um, with the lawyer because then the lawyer also kind of you know, jumps back on that and is trying to kind of ignite this flame of, oh, well, you know, it's malpractice on the psychiatrist's part because you knew all of this stuff and, you know, you didn't prescribe him the proper things or alert anybody. And you You saw him the day before. Right, right. So I personally don't think that he he can claim that. I think they're going to try to do that and he's probably playing into it. And Tehran, you've said this since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's a viable defense, right? So we hear, uh, we hear he, here we have Rabbi Shalom ben David come in, and he is concerned about his son and his reputation. 
Mm-hmm. Also, let's remember, his reputation is almost, if not equally as important, a little more important than the sun. Just a little. It's there. Yeah, Isn't it his is. reputation kind of done for now, though? Because every, nobody it, really goes to him It anymore. has hurt his reputation. He was a very prominent rabbi. And, um, and of course, the concept of... A lot of people think that claiming insanity is an easy plea. It is not. No, it's, it's extremely difficult to prove insanity. And insanity isn't even just your mental state or mental health. It's do you have the mental capacity to understand morally what is right and wrong? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that goes against him. He tried to cover up the murder. Mm-hmm. And he tried to lie about it. Those are the things that go to, well, if you didn't know what you did was wrong, then why did you try to... A, B, and C. That's, Why did you take off legally. your religious garb? Why was everything so plotted Exactly. Up? So what's the intent? How did you do? What was your mental state? Here we have Yosef Chaim being um, the the diagnosis being extreme obsessive symptoms, mm-hmm. anti-psychotic drugs, narcissistic, anti-social tendencies, where, of course, uh, Asher Ahoyan, uh, the attorney, comes in and tries to say, well, that's uh, isn't that... Uh, psychotic behavior that's that's a sociopath or a psychopath right hypomania what's the difference between manic hypomania and just hypomania then Deborah's being honest Deborah's an honest person she believes in her institution and and she's not going to lie based on principle well at least we don't think so uh, even if the entire country hinges on this lie her and Shimon have similarities in that sense where they're like, don't play me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We follow the rules. We are seeking justice. We do our jobs. And I think in her case, she's going to get torn down from it for it. She's kind of like a casualty. Yeah, I think she's definitely a casualty. But it is interesting that they are treating uh, rabbi the rabbi like a leper, he said, because we see so many different... Uh, Reactions to what's been happening since the beginning of the of the three Israeli boys that were kidnapped and killed, and it it's crazy to see that the actions of a few can surmount to what people think is the opinion of all of everyone. So when they go back to Shimon's office, they said there's an increase in violence against Arabs, and it's interesting because there's obviously a great majority that think that the killing of Muhammad was disgusting and despicable then why would there but then there's some that have totally been for it and now there's violence in the streets that's one thing we have to remember see so a lot of people are upset at the show because they did not show the kidnapping of the three uh, Israeli boys. three Israeli boys to begin with mm-hmm. right because that's the beginning of this story mm-hmm. and, and in many ways however there are two different stories. It doesn't justify. At this point, when yes. the kidnappers are kidnapped, the problem was that there were Palestinians celebrating their deaths. And so this seemed like an act of retribution. Here, people were getting upset. There were Palestinian bus drivers and people, especially in Jerusalem, where everyone's in one city. So Jerusalem is a mixed city. It's one of the rare occasions where it's specifically a mixed city. Palestinians and Israelis living side by side on any any given day. And when a conflict happens, it... it I don't want to say usually, but most of the time it it begins or it happens there. It's the most prevalent there. The other thing that was going on was Operation Protective Edge, which is Gaza is now being bombed and sending bombs into Israel. So we see a lot of like Gaza being bombed, but we don't see what they were doing on the Israeli side as well. And that's why people are like, why are we only showing uh, Israeli terrorists and not the Palestinian terrorists. That's what the whole thing... And they brought up Baruch Goldstein, which was like a huge deal. This was uh, a doctor from the United States, went there, 
uh, worked with the IDF, refused to treat Arabs, and then was responsible for this massacre um, in which, and I want to be exact, the Cave of the Patriarchs Massacre, killing 29 Palestinian and wounding another 125. And, and that was like a huge deal. Like, that's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. It's, because the concept is, at least on the Israeli point, is, hey, we are better. We are, you know, we're the voice of reason. We're the good voice of good. And then when bad things are done on that side, you're like, well, that just throws everything out the window. Yeah. Yeah, it's really complicated. And just to be clear, you guys, we are covering the show, not not either side. But it's, it is a different story. I'm taking the side now. Okay. It's a it's, different story. It's hard to look at. I know, like, they're it focusing on, on the hate crime of it. And that's, like, what the creators are trying to focus on. But it's really hard to focus on just the hate crime when there's so much history. Yeah. Oh, everything. yeah. So it's really hard to separate. When, what they're asking of the audience, I feel like, is yeah. almost impossible just because of the history, you know, like... But I will say, it's universal. What's happening totally. to each group is universal. So by showing one story, although it is one story, it is the perspective of the whole, in a sense, that it's happening on both sides. And there are so many different dimensions to it. There are so many people in each religion and each culture that is taking a different place and taking different actions and would totally condemn one action over the other. 100%. So it's it's different. But let's get into the Kadirs. Uh, Hussein, that is, he is the most heartbreaking father ever played on TV Jeez, of man, all I can't time. look into his eyes when he's on screen. He holds everything in his eyes. Like, he does little acting physically and it's all just here. That's Wait. hard. Reminds me of my Middle Eastern father. Like, I cannot, really? like, 100%. Like, I, I understand it more than I probably ever should. And he, when we open up the episode 8 where the monument that was built at the murder scene was vandalized and when asked what he felt, what his opinion was, and what he had to say. He said, nothing. I want to thank those who built it. I mean, what class? Does that remind you of your father as well? Yeah, I don't know about that part. You know, I, you know actually, I might have gotten Unfair in trouble question. for getting murdered. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I told you not to go out. Um, you know, it's a difficult situation. There was another monument built. Israelis built a monument, and they they said this and they nodded at it in the episode where they're like victim of uh, terror act. Yes. Uh, so there's a monument, and Which, Muhammad's name was added to that, uh-huh. and then the Khadir Abu Khadir family requested that it be taken off. So that's actually really? the nod to that that happens after the events that we're seeing unfold. Uh, another very interesting tidbit to note is that uh, Rachel Frankel, who's the mo- mother of Naftali, Naftali's one of the uh, three Israeli boys, who's, when all this happened, first of all, the mothers reached out to Suha, and they had a conversation, and they were like, this is wrong. They were like, just to let her know that this is not something that they wish or even find mm-hmm. I wish uh, they put that any in vengeance. I mean... Uh, it's a big deal. And then yeah, specifically, uh, Rachel Frankel says something that becomes a public statement. There's no difference between blood and blood. Murder is murder. There is no justification and no atonement for murder. And that's how Abu uh, Hussein and his family's feeling. Like, they're stuck between having a son that this is a unifying front for the Palestinians, but at the same time, they are just a family who just lost their son. All of this is they lost their son. 
It yeah. does, all of that is great. All of that sucks. All of that is this. All of that. They lost their son. And that's the defining thing that everyone keeps forgetting, except for them and except for Suha, who is obviously dwelling in this moment. And, yeah. And speaking of Suha, they want her to go to trial and she can't. And I totally understand. And what a few episodes back, they said, he's no longer your son. He is the martyr. And so it becomes way bigger than anything. But I I am curious what you guys thought about the whole trial. Whether it you think it could be a sham or you think that it is it's still important to be there and what you thought of the brother the son and brother stepping up in that group meeting with Hussein. I mean, I think that um I think he Hussein had to take a step back because I think everything has gotten out of hand and I think there's resentment between him and his wife um, because it turned into something much bigger than themselves when uh, I don't think she wanted it to be that big you know from everything that turned into as far as him going to the trial I think it's important for him to go to be a presence I I agree with everything that his son said basically Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that his son finally stepped up and said something and was on his father's side because he's totally alone in, in the in the group of his peers. So he's, he's completely alone. I mean, the fact that he has to even have a group council just to decide to go to a trial. Right. And, and the concept of normalization was brought up, which is the normalization yeah. of the uh, occupation of Palestine and the cities because a lot of people feel like if you are part of the system, if you interact with the system, then you're normalizing this occupation. And it's takes away from the two state or the one state yeah, or whatever solution that everyone thinks there's an, a solution if one's even possible at this no. point not understanding that normalization and using the system in a situation like this is just a legal legal situation it has nothing to do with normalization or not mm-hmm. this became political but his son's murder is anything but i'm glad you brought that up because i'm sure there's a lot of viewers who might not know the history and the present day there and not understand why you wouldn't go to court because we have the luxury of most of us being able to trust the legal system we have and so, so it's a completely yeah but you have something there. in the black in the no, black I'm community where mo- you're like most of us where it's like yo no snitching and then someone like cameron going Going on 2020 and saying if I my neighbor was a serial killer I wouldn't say nothing and it's like are you out of your okay, mind? That Ti has to no, okay. Snitching, Ti has I to feel okay. like snitching is only okay when you sign up for that life. Yeah, exactly. and you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. anything else. No. Don't be Takashi. <laughs> Don't Takashi. <laughs> also, Cardi B. <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding. Okay. okay, we have to end We're on that though. We are going to court. Uh, Hussein ends up going, and Yosef says, I am the Messiah. So that's where we end. We will see what happens. Unfortunately, we are out of time. But in the meantime, Tatiana, where can the viewers find you? You can find me on Tatiana Marisa on all social media platforms. Find me at I am Tehran all across the board, please. You can find me at Steph Sabra all across the board, too. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menounos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 